during prayer, during announcements, we talked about God sending a revival. Just put that in your head just for a moment. Think about that. How many just love the way things are going in our country? Raise your hand. Wow, no. Anybody? You just love the way things are going. No. Right. Nobody's, nobody's jumping up and down saying me. Wow. That's shocking, not. Um, uh, you look around and you say, man, it's like chaos, right? It's not going to get any better. Things aren't going to get back to normal. Whatever normal is, there's a new normal. We need revival. And the way revival comes is really comes down to really one thing. Each of us doing what we know God would have us to do. Right? Anybody disagree with that? It comes down to every one of us doing what we should be doing. When it comes to areas of sinfulness, areas of obedience, areas of evangelism, I mean, we can point the finger at any direction in the, under the sun and find out, yeah, there's a problem that way, 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 problem this way. But until we start dealing with ourselves and quit pointing the finger at everyone else, I mean, that's a big enough job, I think. Anyone disagree with me? That's a huge job. And when I think about everything that's going on, it, a lot of it comes down to what we're going to talk about this morning in Romans chapter 8. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. And as we think about what needs to happen in America as far as revival, it also starts with you and I as individuals. I remember for many years we traveled all over the country doing meetings in churches. It was a unique time in our life, uh, unique opportunities, some of it good, some of it not so good. Learned a lot. Learned a lot of things I'd like to do, a lot of things I didn't want to do. But there's a unique opportunity of traveling all across the country. But one thing I realized and one thing God really taught me is that you can't plan a revival. You can't. I mean, we got this day on the calendar from a March 17th through the 24th. I mean, this is revival week. Church put it on the calendar. And guess what didn't happen? We had meetings. We didn't have revival. I'm just telling you, it didn't happen. In several years of traveling, I think I can count on one hand the number of churches that actually experienced some type of revival before we got there, or as we got there. I can remember things like we pull into a church parking lot, and we're walking into the church, me and my family, and uh, everyone's looking at us like we had a third eye in the center of our head, which is probably not unrealistic, but... And then the pastor gets up. Oh, by the way, today starts revival meetings. And everyone's like, what? Yeah, every night tonight, every night 7 o'clock, every night this week. Pastor never said a word about us being there. Word about the fact that there was revival meetings. No prayer took place before we got there. There was no challenge for people to you know, prepare for it. And we wonder why it was just another meeting on a calendar. And unfortunately, that's what happens across the country. We talk about, oh, we need to see a sweeping hand of God moment in our country. Anybody disagree with that? Right? We all agree with that, right? We need to see a sweeping hand of God moment across our country. We need that. We want to see that. But what are we willing to do to see that? 
wow, it just, it really should cause us to stop and think. Am I contributing to seeing a hand of God revival moment or am I hindering it? I want to read verses eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll pray and start looking at parts of it. It's not a long message this morning. Just want to draw your attention to several things that I want you to notice, and then we'll be done. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous required of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, and but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so that so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness, but the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Dear Father, we ask that, Lord, as we look at Your Word this morning, Lord, that You would speak to our hearts. And I pray, God, that we might be honest about whether or not we are one of Your children, whether or not Your Spirit truly does indwell us or not. And, Lord God, I pray that if that be the case, Lord, might today be the day of salvation for many. And I ask, dear God, that you would just, Lord, whatever is going on in our hearts, our minds this day, I pray, God, that you'd help us to be able to set aside some of those cares, some of those concerns, Lord, to, to deal with what you have for us to deal with today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Can you imagine just for a moment being guilty of so much sin? Let me just stop right there. Guess what? We are. We are guilty of sin. But it doesn't stop there. I only read half my sentence. Being guilty of so much sin and yet having, yet not having to pay the price for that very sin of which we are guilty. In fact, there in chapter 8 verse 1 says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation. In other words, we are not condemned. It is no longer something that is right there in front of us that we have to deal with. And you know, when you think about it, he goes, that's pretty incredible. That, that we can be absolutely 1,000% guilty of something, and yet at the same time, God says, I'm not going to hold that against you. Now, of course, the only way for this to be the case is for the Holy Spirit of God to indwell us and the one who is not being condemned, right? So when we think about this for a moment, every one of us in this room has the opportunity to be free from the condemnation of the sin that we are guilty of committing. And it's amazing that God would be so long-suffering, so patient, so forgiving, that He would give us a verse, something like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So the responsibility that we have is that when we are dealing with issues of sin in our lives, that when we are dealing with it, when we confess it, He forgives us. And, and not only that, God speaks to the idea of forgiveness. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath He, what? Removed our sin from us. So when I think about the whole idea and the whole concept of therefore being not condemned any longer, it's the very, the very love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God that allows me to partake of that. Wow, that's awesome. So he says, there's no condemnation for one, for the one who walks in the Spirit. You see that in verse 1. So in other words, there's victory over sin, and this victory is really in two areas. First of all, God has offered an acquittal for our sin and guilt. The idea of not being condemned is that you've been acquitted. Now we all understand it's a legal term, but the whole idea behind being acquitted is that you are very definitely guilty of something, but we've been let you free of it, the consequence of it. So if someone's been acquitted of a crime, they've been let loose. They've been freed from the penalty that could have been. And when we think about it, he says you've been set free from sin and guilt. It's an amazing thing what guilt is. Guilt can be a very strong and powerful thing. When you talk to people, they say, well, I have a lot of guilt over my past. I have a lot of guilt over the things that I used to do. I have a lot of guilt over things that happened in my childhood. I have a lot of guilt over things that you know I once were a part of, but I'm no longer a part of. Do you realize that Satan wants to use guilt to hold you back? Do you understand that when you have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living within you, and you've asked for forgiveness and you've confessed those sins, the guilt should be no longer? Satan would love nothing more than to allow that to be a handcuff to you so that you cannot move on. Guilt should be something that we have been freed from. And if you don't believe that, read your Word. Read God's Word and it will it'll make that clear for you. That God has offered an acquittal for our sin and guilt. That's right there in verse 1 and 2. He says, There is now therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. There is no longer a guilt sentence over me when it's been confessed and forgiven. But I'm telling you, it can be a very powerful thing if you don't deal with it. The sin that is. I was I had an opportunity when I was in my 20s to go through a counseling class in uh, Lafayette, Indiana, the Nuthetic Counseling Center. And we took a gentleman down there that was part of our church. He's long since passed away now. But he was in his 80s. And this man had obsessive-compulsive disorder. And it was amazing to me that I've watched counseling sessions after counseling sessions and, and so forth. And as this man sat down before this counselor, he says, so why do you think you have this? He goes, I can tell you exactly why I have it. And he says, oh, really? You can tell me why you have this disorder. He goes, absolutely, I can. He goes, why? He goes, because I've not been able to deal with issues of sin. And he goes, I feel guilt over it. And the guilt had been driving him for 65 years. And he says, well, have you... He says, you're a born-again believer, right? And he goes, yes. He goes, then why haven't you been able to deal with this? He goes, because the person that I did this to, I don't know who they are, I don't know where they live, and I can never make it right. 
And so for 65 years, he had developed a compulsive disorder because of the guilt that he was taking with him. And that day, I watched as the counselor sat down with him and said, listen, let me show you Scripture. And as he dealt with it once and for all before the Lord, he was able to let loose of the guilt that had plagued him for 65 years. Satan would love nothing more than to take the things that you've done in your past. And sometimes it's there because we don't deal with it as we ought. But once it's dealt with, God forgives and it becomes a thing that He has freed you from. But it only disappears when sin is confessed. But He says the victory is not only over the acquittal of our sin and our guilt, He sets us free from the law and sin of death, according to verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. So, here's an interesting thing. We go from the law of Moses, which is all rules and regulations and, law, and, and just rules that are just designed to keep you inside the, this parameter. He says you can't ever keep one. Because remember, if you offend in one, you're offended in all, right? And if you can't keep one, you can't keep them all. So he says, we've moved away from that. You've been freed from the law of sin and death. So there's victory in that as well. Look at Romans chapter 7, just back for a couple pages there. Verses 24 and 5. It says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. You see the struggle? So in the flesh and in the sinfulness of my flesh, there's all these rules that I struggle with. All these parameters, all these guidelines that are hard for me to keep. But in my mind, what I know is, yeah, with the, I, with the mind I serve the law of God. What is the whole purpose of the law? Bring it as a schoolmaster to bring us to the place of grace. And to realize that God is a God of grace. And that He's there with us. But let me just tell you, verse 24 is still real too. And it's true just as much for it was for, as the author as it was for, it is for us today. Oh, wretched man that I am. If we don't realize how wretched we are, you'll continue in your sin because you can justify it as well. I'm just a bad person anyway. Right? He says, wretched man that I am, so that we realize that Jeremiah 17 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't realize just how sinful our flesh is. And on any given day, we can commit any sin if we're not careful. Look at verses 3 and 4. You see how the victory is achieved. Look at verse 3. It says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, how is the victory achieved? Well, first of all, God sent His Son to do what the law couldn't do. Break the power of sin. Do you realize that you have the ability to overcome sin? Would God ever tell you to do something and then not give you the power to do it? Would God say, be holy, but <laughs> you're never going to do it? Right? Wouldn't that be a narcissistic, crazy guy? He's like, I told you! All right. 
He says, I am not only going to tell you what to do, I'm going to empower you to do what I ask you to do. And what's that empowerment from? 1 Corinthians 6 19. What? Knowing not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are His. The reality is, if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we have come to the place where we realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, He says once we do that and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, He indwells us. And once He indwells us, we have the ability to overcome. But here's the thing, if you don't have the Spirit indwelling you, you're not going to have the power to overcome. He says, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. She even agrees with me. (laughs) But the reality is, we need the Holy Spirit within us to help us have the victory to overcome, right? So if we don't have that, that's the first thing that many of us may have to deal with, is that we need Jesus Christ within us to have the power to overcome the sinfulness that's around us. So God sent His Son to do that, to, to break the curse and the power of sin. And not only that, God's Son then fulfilled the righteousness of the law by the Spirit that indwells us. No matter where we go, He's there with us. Not only is His Spirit indwelling us, but He's everywhere that we can go. We see that in Psalm 139. He says, no matter where I can go, behold, God is there. Hebrews 4, no matter what I do, God sees it. He's always with me. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's there with us. And He gives us what we need to overcome and to live a life of victory. But He's very clear also in verse 5 and 6. So we see verse 1, there's no condemnation. Then we notice in verse 3 4 that the, how the victory is achieved. Now verse 5 and 6, we notice how we, who will not see the victory. Are there people who will not see victory? Yeah, absolutely, according to verse 5 and 6. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Let me stop right there. You've heard me say this a thousand times over the last years. Every day is a choice, right? As to how we live. Without question. You can't say, well, it's the environment that I grew up in. That's hogwash and it's an excuse of the devil. You look at back in the garden, who had the greatest environment that one could possibly have? Adam and Eve. I mean, can you imagine being in the garden and how gorgeously beautiful it was? It had to have been just something that was just just appealing to the eye and something beautiful to look at. Perfect environment. And yet they still chose to sin. We cannot blame our choices on our environment. I'm not saying they don't give in, uh, inputs. I'm not saying they don't kind of direct us at times. But every one of us can say, well, wow, I had this in my childhood. I had this in my background. I experienced this as a kid. And, and, and want to blame and excuse and, and, and everything about what we did. It comes down to a choice, folks. That's what God's Word says. <clears throat> Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. It's as clear as day. I have this pen. Used it a thousand times. My gold pen. You say, that's a pretty cool gold pen. I know, right? This is my gold pen. But, you know what? I'm going to take it out of my pocket and set it right there so you can admire it. Right there. Admire my gold pen. 
Say, I want that gold pen. No, you can't have that one. That one's mine. I'm going to set it there. You know what? Let's just for, let's just for a moment say that pen represents a choice I'm going to make. And this pen is a choice. And so today I'm going to make this choice. I'm going to make that choice and set it right there. Now, that choice may be something that's godly. It may be something that's ungodly. Maybe that choice represents a decision that I'm making to sin. I'm going to look at something I shouldn't look at. Choosing to do that. I'm making that choice. Maybe it's to tell a lie because someone has irritated me and I just don't want to deal with them, so I'm just going to lie to them. That choice represents a lie. Maybe that choice represents stealing. Took something from work. I mean, after all, they got 8,000 of them and ain't going to miss this one. It's no big deal. I'm just going to take it. Represents a choice that I'm making. But on the other hand, I could say, well, you know what? This choice, today I'm choosing to read my Bible. Today I'm going to make a choice to show love to people who don't show love to me. Today I'm going to make a choice to pray more than I did yesterday. You see, everything in life is a choice. It doesn't accidentally happen. Every day I have a choice. Act, react. Right? Every day I have an opportunity to make a choice either to live in the flesh or to walk in the Spirit. And it's that simple. And the only way I can live in the Spirit as I ought is to feed the Spirit. How do I feed the Spirit? Spend time in Word. Pray. Walk with God. And when I eliminate this from my life, the flesh is going to dominate naturally. So he says it very clearly here. Who's not going to see victory? The one who chooses to live according to the flesh. In fact, he says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. It is an active choice to do something that they know is wrong. And you know what? I've said it a thousand times and you've heard it a thousand times, I didn't have to teach my kids to do wrong any more than no anyone had to teach you to do wrong. We know when we're doing wrong, don't we? It's called the conscience. It's called the still small voice, the spirit that lives within us telling us, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't, don't respond this way. And we choose whether we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit or live in the flesh. But he also says this, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want peace? Walk in the Spirit. It's that simple. If you want peace in this life, regardless of what's going on around us, you have to live in the Spirit and let the Spirit guide you. Apart from that, you will not see success in that area. And then he just puts it very bluntly, verse 6. For to be carnally minded, or fleshly minded, it's another word for fleshly, for to be carnally or fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And if we could say it this way, verse 7 and 8, notice how God views carnal living, fleshly living. 
Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Think about that just for a minute. What does the word enmity mean? What's it? Hostile? It's hostility. It's anger. It's at odds with. It's at war with. The carnal mind is at war with God. Why? So he says, that's not a picture of Christ. That's not what you know, that's not how you know to live. He makes it very clear. The carnal mind is war with God. The carnal mind cannot please God, according to verse 8. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, you can't live for the things of the world and walk in the flesh and be in the Spirit and please God at the same time. You have to choose. And every day is that choice. But which one are you choosing to live in? If I were to ask your kids, which one are you? would they say you're living in? My kids will tell you. My wife will tell you. Those moments that I'm living in the flesh rather than the Spirit. Those around you will be honest with you. But what would they say? Would they say that you're walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh? Would they say that you're living a spiritually godly life or you're living a carnally fleshly life? Those that are closest to you, what would they say? And whatever they say, God knows the truth. We'll look at a couple more verses here over in Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians chapter 5 here. I want to read just a couple of verses. Begin verse 16. It says, I say then, if you want to know how to walk in victory, if you want to know how to really please God, here it is. I say that walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Let's stop there just for a minute. He says they're contrary. In other words, there's a what? There's a fight going on between the flesh and the Spirit. Let me kind of just break down something really simple and silly. Every day there's a flesh. I mean, you got, if I had the grill going right now, as I've said, the flesh and the spirit are going to start fighting hard. I'm just telling you, there are burgers galore, and if one is good, three's better. And I'm just telling you, the flesh and the spirit are going to start in on it. Just saying. And once it starts, it's like, man. There is a war. It says the flesh and the spirit are warring against each other. Flesh says, man, I want good. Man, I want another one. That was good. I want a second one. I want a third one. Man, and I've got philosophy with burgers, man. I'm just telling you. I've had this philosophy for as long as I can remember. The messier the, the messier it is, the more goo that comes out of it, the more mayonnaise it drips from it, the more mustard that squirts out, the gooier it is, the better it's going to taste. Truth. I'm just telling you. Pickles, lettuce. I mean, just the gooier it is and the more stuff that squirts on you. Some of you are saying gross. You have not lived. Yeah, there you go. Meat sauce. Hot. Build it up, man. But I'm just telling you, there is a war that starts, right? Let's be honest. Because your body doesn't need three of them. But your flesh wants it. Use a, a silly illustration about food, but here's the deal. You can do the same thing with lying, cheating, stealing, bad attitudes, wrong responses to your friends and coworkers and family members. It's the same thing. Because in our 
in the moment, our flesh says, I'm right. You should listen to me because I have the answers. I know what I'm talking about. I've done this before and I know better. You're wrong. Our flesh wants to fight what the Spirit wants to do in and through you. The Spirit says, eh, don't, don't, don't cast your pearl before swine. A haughty answer is going to cause more problems. Soft answer turns away wrath, but, um, but our flesh and the Spirit want to fight because we have to prove that we're right and we know better. Right? That's the way it works. He says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So let's go back to our Galatians text just for a moment. Verse 16 says, I say, then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Think about this. It's a fight. And the one that wins is the one that you feed. The one that you give into. So we see, finally in verses 9-11, through 11, we're going to notice who is a child of God. You, see, you might be sitting here this morning and say, well, I'm not sure if I am a child of God. Do I really know Him? Am I walking in the Spirit? Well, let's see what God's Word describes a child of God. Verse 9-11. through 11 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Let's stop right there. He just says it very clearly. Let me just break it down and make it real simple. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're his. If the Holy Spirit's not in you, you're not his. There is no gray area. It's black and white. You can't some days be religious or spiritual and other days, well, I'm just being carnal and fleshly. It doesn't work that way. Well, it can in our actions, but the reality is God knows whether or not His Spirit dwells us. So if the Spirit is living within you, how do I know if the Spirit lives within us? Well, let me ask this question. Has there come a place in time in your life where you realize that you are a sinner and that Christ died on the cross for your sin and that you could do nothing but to put your faith and trust in Him for forgiveness and salvation? If so, then there's a good chance you know Him. But if you've never come to that realization, you can't look back to a time in your life where you said, I have put my faith and trust in Christ, you should probably do that. Best decision you'll ever make in your life. And let me just... Reminded some of you that may be saying, well, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. The decision to put your faith and trust in Christ is not a decision to join a church. No church on the face of God's earth will ever save you. It will not. It cannot happen. No denomination will ever save you. No amount of good works will ever save you. No amount of being a good person will ever save you. No amount of money given to help those in need, the sick, the poor, will ever save you and earn you one minute in heaven. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ and Him alone. So verse 9, if the Holy Spirit indwells you, you're His. 
And verse 10 says, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. You want life? It's only going to come through the Spirit living within you. Because that's where life really comes from. So, verse 1, notice there's no condemnation for those who walk in the Spirit. Verse 3 and 4, notice how the victory is achieved through Jesus Christ coming to the earth, dying on the cross, and giving us freedom from the law of sin. Notice who will not see the victory? Those who live in the flesh. Notice how God views carnal living, verse 7 and 8. It's war with God and you cannot please God. And notice who is the child of God? The one who has the Spirit living within him. Oh, it's you, but I hope that you have the Spirit living within you. You want victory? You've got to feed the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Spend time with God. This is how you get battle ready. This is how you have strength. By living in the Spirit. Lord, I pray, God, that You would speak to our hearts this morning. I ask, God, that if there, Lord, is one here today, Lord, that does not know You as their Savior, Lord, if they're not sure of whether they'll spend eternity in heaven, Lord, might today be a day of salvation for them. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a minute. No one be looking around as we do each and every week. There's just every, Each and every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. I don't know if there's a decision that you have to make because of what you've heard. I don't know if you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus because of what you've heard. I don't know that. But you and God do. And so can I ask just a couple questions before we're dismissed this morning? Is the Holy Spirit of God living within you? Do you truly know Him? If you were to die today, do you have any confidence that you spend eternity in heaven? Not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of who Jesus is and what He's done. You say, Pastor Ken, if I'm honest with myself this morning, I don't know that I would spend eternity in heaven, but I'm concerned about it. Let me just tell you, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'll never embarrass you. I'll never call you out. Just a simple question, and you can respond to it. Are you uncertain of where you spend eternity? If you're concerned about that and you're not sure, would you just simply lift your hand up or look up at me so I can just pray for you? I'll not embarrass you and I'll call you out. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure if I will spend eternity in heaven. If I were to die, I don't know where I'd go. I want to go to heaven, but I'm just not sure. But I'm concerned. Would you pray for me? Anyone else? Can I challenge a couple of you who are concerned about it to simply understand three things. A, that we're all sinners. None of us are perfect. It's not a commitment to... I'm going to live this different life and also I'm going to be perfect. I'm not going to struggle anymore. Far be it. It's an acknowledgement that I am a sinner, but I acknowledge that Christ died for my sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ died for on the cross for your sin? B, do you believe that He did exactly what He said He did on the cross of Calvary? He shed His blood that you might have forgiveness. And then letter C, simply confess and call. Romans 10.9 says, For with a heart one believes but with a mouth confession is made and in verse 13 it says whoever will call upon the name of the lord shall be saved anyone can put their faith and trust in jesus christ if they're willing to admit that they're a sinner and that christ died on the cross paid the price and it's a simple prayer my prayer cannot save you it will not save you but if you're concerned and you want to pray that prayer 
I encourage you to pray this prayer right there where you're at in your heart. My prayer will not save you. It cannot save you. But if you would want to pray and you don't know what to say, it's just a simple prayer. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit I've done wrong. But I believe that you died on the cross. You shed your blood that I might have forgiveness. And I ask you for that forgiveness of my sin. And I call on you to be my Savior. I put my faith and trust in you. In you alone. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. Anyone like that this morning? Yes, yes. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate it. Anyone else say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. Can I just challenge all of us then? If you're living in the flesh rather than the Spirit and you know Jesus, there's some things that you got to change. You have the power through the Holy Spirit to do that if you want to. But as long as you want to live in the flesh, see, I can go out there and I can eat three burgers because my flesh wants it. Or I can say, Lord, help me because I know it's not good for me. And Lord, give me the strength to overcome with your power. Let's all stand to our feet with our heads bowed this morning. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the very things that we struggle with. Lord, you know the areas of our fleshliness, Lord, that we just continuously give in to. I pray, God, that you would forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive us as a body of believers, Lord. Help us to do better, to show you that we love you, that we're, we, we want to be pictures of Jesus no matter where we're at and what we're doing. I ask, God, that you would help us. We can't do it apart from you, Lord. We need your Spirit to work in us and through us. And we realize, Lord, as long as we're given into the flesh, it's going to be a battle, and we cannot please you. So, Lord, help us to be willing to deal with these areas of sinfulness and to trust what only you can do through your Spirit to have victory. Lord, thank you for these who've acknowledged, Lord, that they are concerned about their salvation and their walk with you. And I pray, God, you help them to walk, live a life of victory, Lord, that you would increase their faith, Lord, that you'd work in and through them, Lord, just to show them more of who you are, Lord, that they may continue to grow in the knowledge of you, Lord. Work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.